Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. Well, I'm delighted to be speaking today with Zoe George. Zoe has an extensive career in the world of media and communications and is a producer and reporter and also a proud supporter of women in sport. Early in her career, Zoe worked in international cricket, both in New Zealand and abroad. She attended tournaments as far afield as Botswana, Bangladesh, Samoa and Singapore as a communications advisor and team manager. Her more recent career, though, has taken her directly into the world of journalism, and she worked for a number of years with Radio New Zealand and has worked on everything from the concert programme to hosting the Fair Play podcast, where she helped to shine the spotlight on women in sport. And I actually discovered this podcast last year, and it was a great listen on some long commutes. Zoe is now a senior sports reporter with Stuff, and she continues to champion women in sport. Kia ora, Zoe, and thank you for joining today. Kia ora. It's lovely to be here with you. Great. One of the questions that I like to start with when thinking about people's careers is actually going back to their childhood because your career doesn't magically start after you finish high school or or further education. So talk me through when you were a kid or when you were a teenager, what were your career dreams or aspirations? Well, I actually am one of those weird people who always knew what they wanted to do. So from about the age of 12, I decided I wanted to be a journalist and that was it. Uh, I actually started, my first job was delivering my local newspaper, which was the newspaper that I ended up being published on the front page of with my very first story when I was 16. And that paper is owned by the company that I now work for. So I always had this interest in journalism and media and telling stories. And throughout my high school years, my dad was the local cop. So I had no street cred, never got invited to any parties. So I spent my weekends playing sport and then hanging out at TV3, learning about journalism and visual storytelling. Uh, And then at 17, I went off to the New Zealand Broadcasting School and graduated by the time I was 20. And then after that, kind of off I went into my career. But uh, it hasn't been a, a line like I'd planned and hoped for when I was a teenager. And I've had to diversify along the way. And I've finally been able to become a sports journalist in my mid-30s. But all of those things have contributed to where I am today. And I'm very thankful for all of those experiences. And what was it about being a journalist that appealed to you in the first place? You have this opportunity to help social change and to tell good stories. There are people who get into journalism because they want to be famous and that's the wrong way of going about it. It's not about that. For me, it was about getting to a heart of a story and helping change the conversation and the way that we do things. And I've been so fortunate that I've been able to do stories that have had a direct impact on people. A few years ago when I was working for RNZ as a producer, there was 
this family I did a story with and they lived in a state house in Porirua and it was colder inside than it was outside. The house was growing mould. She was scrubbing the walls every day. She'd been in touch with Housing New Zealand multiple times and they hadn't fixed it. And by doing a story with her, we were able to get her house fixed in time for winter so that her family had a warm place to live. Uh, and we got an apology from the housing minister at the time, which I think was Paula Bennett. That had a direct impact on that person. And that's why I got into journalism, was to do stories like that, that can help influence social change. Mm, what a wonderful story. And how nice to see the work that you do directly helping a family. Fantastic. Yeah, it was very rewarding. I haven't heard from them recently. She and she was eight months pregnant as well, and you're just going, "Wow, this is this is terrible that she's having to deal with this." And to get a get an apology from the minister was also quite nice. <laughs> At the same time, I'm guessing telling a story like that was quite controversial. It wouldn't have been something that the housing minister would necessarily want out in the in the public view. So, talk to me about that side of journalism, which is in some ways creating noise and controversy. And not, and not always being popular. Yeah, it's about seeking the truth. Mm. We're meant to be truth tellers and we write things based on fact. And something that I've definitely noticed around COVID-19 is a lot of people saying that they don't trust media or really slamming journalists in the 1pm conference, you know, press conference with Dr. Ashley Bloomfield and the Prime Minister. We report on fact, Good journalists report on fact. And and when people tell me they don't trust media, I always ask them, well, what media are you engaging with? Uh, we've got one of the most trusted media in the world. We've got the freest press in the world. And I think our journalists are doing just such a brilliant job. But it is about asking those hard questions. And it, actually, it doesn't matter what job you're in, asking those hard questions to get the truth is really important. And then by sharing that truth, then you can make an informed decision on whatever it is that you're doing. And if it wasn't for journalists at this time, then the public wouldn't have the information, the right information to make informed decisions that benefit them and their families. Yeah. It's wonderful. I can hear your passion coming through for that, the truth-telling <laughs> element of it, which is brilliant. Yeah. And I have to, but I hadn't thought of journalism in that way. I always thought of it as telling a story, but in actual fact, it is about going underneath to find the truth somewhere there. Fascinating. Yeah, you've got to dig a little bit sometimes as well, and sure, it makes people uncomfortable. Most of the time, though, journalists aren't out to get you, and and I do find it really funny when I meet new people for the first time and they ask me what I do and I say I'm a journalist and I get one of two reactions. I either get, wow, that's really interesting or okay, bye, and then they walk off. Yeah. And there's nothing to be scared about. But I have done some really hard stories that make people feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. sometimes. But if you go and listen to someone like Kim Hill, for example, who is just amazing and I had the absolute pleasure of working with her for a number of years. You know, you can hear her interviewees shift in their seats when she's touched a nerve or asked a hard question. She's had people get up and walk out of interviews because they didn't like her questions, but she was just seeking the truth. She was just trying to get the answers. Why did you do this? What's happening here? Sometimes they are uncomfortable, but again, we're just seeking the truth.
And so earlier on, you talked about how your career hasn't necessarily been straightforward and it's taken a bit of a journey to get to actually where it is you wanted to be now. So talk me through the the kind of the ups and downs, particularly of those early years of your career. Yeah, after broadcasting school, one of the things you have to go and do is is be an intern. And I ended up interning in Thames of all places. And as a big city girl, it was a bit of a culture shock. But actually, it was fantastic because it gave me a really good base. I read the news. I was a a daily journalist. uh, I did presenting, the whole gambit. I did promotions. And I was in able to embed myself in that community. And it also taught me the importance of building really good, strong relationships, not just with the people that you work with, but with the community around you. And then after that, I moved to Palmerston North for a year and then moved back down to Christchurch. And I went into print, even though I was a trained broadcast journalist. And it was fantastic. I was working for these business magazines and writing huge feature articles. And I had to learn this new skill because writing for broadcasting is very different for writing for print. And I think that set me up really well for what I'm doing now. And I met some incredible people who helped me and shaped me into the writer and the journalist that I am now. And actually, I'm still friends with some of those people. And I was running a newsroom as well. So I was 22 when I was running. I was chief reporter of this newsroom. And that's quite a lot of pressure for a 22-year-old. And when I was about 25, 24, I moved to New Zealand Cricket. They uh, were looking for a communications advisor. And and cricket is in my blood. I can't escape it. Uh, It's something I grew up with and both my parents are involved with cricket and I played it and when I had this opportunity to to go and work with New Zealand cricket of course I took it and it was fantastic seeing the way that particularly international cricket you know worked I worked with the white ferns helped boost and promote women's cricket. When I first started at New Zealand Cricket, I don't think they had a website dedicated to the White Ferns and we were able to push that through and get more coverage for them. So I've always been really strong on this promotion of of women and girls in sport. And yeah, and then I spent a couple of years living just out of Tokyo, which was amazing, travelled the world. And while I was there, not only was I doing sort of communications and team management for the international men's and women's cricket teams, I also started uh, looking at academics again. And when we came back to New Zealand, I'd actually planned to become an academic looking at the sociological implications on sport. Uh, But yeah, I ended up having to put that on hold so that I could pursue a career with RNZ which was great. It was just fantastic working with the best in the business, uh, people like Catherine Ryan and and Kim Hill, who have been around a very long time. And I learned a lot about myself and what I was capable of in those roles. So daily producing, you know, and being a journalist and it's the time pressures that come with producing something like that. And then, yeah, moved into music journalism. Music is my other love other than sport. And I spent four years working in that kind of sphere. And and last year, I had the opportunity to produce a live classical performance by the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra, 
which then actually went on to win a major New York Radio Festival, New York Festival Radio Award uh, a few weeks ago. So I was so pleased to be able to be recognised in, in that way. But at that time, I'm sure you noticed that I didn't mention anything about sports journalism. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a sports journalist since about the age of 16. And it's quite funny looking at archives at stuff. There's a photo of me from when I'm 16 and they, they did a story with me saying that I wanted to be a sports journalist. And then they interviewed me again at 26 about saying how I was working in sport and what that was like. And now at 35, I am working in sport. And when I was with RNZ, even though I was producing news shows and then going and being a music journalist, there was still this need uh, to cover women in sport and no one was doing it. So I set up Fair Play about three years ago and it was off my own back and in my own time which then gave a voice to women in sport. And because of that podcast, uh, it, we talked about it was more issues-driven rather than results-driven. Yes, okay, we put lots of emphasis on results in sport, but actually it's about the issues that sit around sport. So I covered everything from Debbie Hockley being threatened with violence to preventing sexual assault through an in-sport. We talked about equality. We talked about accessibility to toilets, which is my favorite subject. And because of that work that I did in my own time, off my own back, I was a finalist for sports, long-form sports journalist of the year in 2018. It was so hilarious because I was a music journalist and there I was, a finalist for Sports Journalist of the Year. Uh, but it just, for me, showed that you have to diversify. Yes, I had these this other job as a music journalist and as a producer, but it was because of my drive and dedication to coverage of women in sport and talking about women in sport that got me recognised and off the back of that, I've now moved into full-time sports journalism with stuff, which is amazing. And when we were just speaking, even just before this, I was amazed to hear that you sort of you did fair play off your own back and, and in your own time, effectively. Yes. And the world of sports journalism, there's not that many women in it at all. What was it then that that really drove you to? without that many role models, to maybe look up to be a bit of a trailblazer in that area. Yeah, I'm a true believer that if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I was actually mm. really fortunate to be able to see some female sports journalists when I was younger. There was a TV3 sports journalist called Di O'Connell who one day was covering the Black Caps backyard cricket tests many years ago. I don't know if you remember those. And I went up to her and I said to her, I was I think I was about 15, and I said, when I grow up, I want to be like you. Mm. And, and then I did end up being like her, which is so lovely. Uh, yes, less than 10% of sports journalists are women. Less than 10% of our sports coverage is about women. Uh, but we are seeing a big change at the moment, uh, particularly around the coverage of our Olympic athletes and what the International Olympic Committee is doing in regards to getting more female journalists. So they've introduced this new accreditation system where if you're a female journalist, you can apply for this and they want to try and make the representation of journalists equal. At the moment, about 80% of journalists covering the Olympic Games are men, and yet nearly 50% of athletes 
are women. So they're, they're bringing this and they had planned on bringing it in for the games this year. And in the middle of July, I was meant to be going to Tokyo for seven weeks to cover both the Olympics and the Paralympics. But obviously that's now been shifted to next year. But we are seeing a change. There's also a group called The Wonderful Group which was founded by some really fantastic female journalists, Melody Robinson, Ricky Swinnell, and it brings all these female journos together and connects them with people within media who see a real need for diversity in this area, the diversity of thought and presentation and knowledge. And there are some fantastic people who really back that. And if you're looking at what things like what Sky are doing, what Spark Sport is doing, they are diversifying their commentary teams, uh, which is brilliant. And I'm very interested to see what the commentary teams are going to look like for cricket this summer. Jeff Latch at Spark has been very vocal about the need for diversity uh, in that platform. But yeah, bring, I'm looking forward to hearing more female voices calling these games. And I like the fact I'm saying that you talked obviously about the the impact you were able to have with with a woman, her family, the social housing, and actually mm-hmm. you've now as with the fair play piece and your work now as a journalist, you've been part of even a much bigger, broader social movement around women and representation in sport. Yeah, absolutely. A few weeks ago, I did a story about Radio Sport that they finished up and they had a, a special three hour sort of finale show. And in it, they only mentioned women once. They only had four female voices, two of whom were journalists who talked about in their workplace about how these stories were not for public consumption. And and that's terrible. Women didn't want to go into these spaces or didn't feel safe in these spaces. And listening to that show raised two red flags with me. One was the lack of coverage of female athletes and not acknowledging their successes. And the other was that actually not just us women, but everyone deserved to have a safe work environment. And off the back of that, there were also two sides to that. I received a, a huge pile of hate mail from people who were not comfortable with what I said. And to be quite frank, it was vile and quite disgusting. But it exposed this culture that still exists within sport. And that's one of the reasons why I am a sports journalist is to help change that culture. But then on the flip side, I also received all this amazing feedback from women who agreed with this piece that I had written about it. And in fact, I heard from that piece has now spurred a work group and how we actually cover women in sport better and what that might look like and the role in which media has in that. So that was um, spurred on by Louisa Wall, the Member of Parliament, who actually saw my article. She sent it to me and she goes, oh my goodness, have you seen this? And I said, yes, that's my article. And she goes, right, we're getting together and we're going to talk about the shape of women in sport, what we can do better, how we can do it, and how media organisations can contribute in a positive way. And I, I just really loved the fact that piece had opened up this conversation about a really important issue. At the same time, it, that sounds pretty horrid, some of the comments that you got. And I think for, for many women, sometimes they hesitate a bit a bit to put themselves out in the public eye or to take on more of a prominent role because of potentially the the feedback that might get. How do you cope with that? 
Yeah, it's a really tough one. And and when I was receiving that feedback, I was just sitting there going, oh, this is just horrific. But it just spurred me on even more. I deal with it. I mean, there are definitely different ways that you can deal with it. From a work perspective, it's actually a health and safety issue. And before I joined Stuff, I was actually a lead union delegate for the PSA at RNZ. And so definitely all about talking about really good work conditions. And so we talked about whether or not we should be publishing journalists' direct emails because these emails were coming straight to me. And I'm really lucky that I have supportive managers uh, even, you know, I'm the only woman in my team of 22 sports journalists, but they are super supportive of me, which is amazing. So I just sent a lot of that vial through to them and uh, had some really good discussions with upper management about protecting our staff and going, actually, we're not going to accept comments like this. This is not okay. We're always going to get comments, but when it's vile and threatening, that's when we need to do something about it. And my personal life, it's, you know, I'm surrounded by amazing friends and and family and I have a supportive partner who back me as well and they support me and they, and that really, really helped. And I actually talked to a couple of other fellow female sports journalists about how they deal with that feedback. And for them, it was about having that good support network, but also going out and playing some rugby and, or going and shooting some hoops or going for a run, finding positive outlets for that frustration that comes with that type of feedback. I mean, it did make me think twice about whether or not I'd be willing to put myself out there on something like television coming from a a radio and print background. People don't recognize me the way that they recognize people on TV. And I kind of like that. If there's an opportunity for me to be on TV, then if I've got the support of the people around me, then I know that I can definitely do it. But yeah, it, it does make you think twice, but I'm not going to second you know, guess myself. I know that I'm a good journalist and that not everything I'm going to write, people are going to agree with. And that's okay because it's starting a conversation and that's how we influence change. I like that. I can't imagine receiving it, but it sounds like, as you said, it's maybe something that you've learned to deal with and it's, it becomes part of the job. And as long as you've got that support structure around you, that it makes it manageable. If you look back a bit at your career, what surprises you, Zoe, about your career? Oh, that's a really tough question. The fact that I wasn't a sports journalist straight up, it's what I always wanted and I pushed hard to get it in the early years and I didn't get it. And I had to take a different path. But actually, I'm really glad that I did take those paths because it exposed me to the world of of sports administration. I was then able to travel the world and experience different cultures, which changed my perspective on life and what was important in life. You know, traveling through Bangladesh with a cricket team is very eye-opening. And true poverty, that trip absolutely changed my life. So I'm really fortunate that I've been able to do all these different things. And let's face it, we don't do journalism for the money because it's just, it's not great. I could go and work in comms and earn a lot more. But again, it's that it's about getting back to what's important and that truth and, and helping social change. And I couldn't, I don't think I could do that in the same capacity if I was in communications. Yeah, it's something that I love and it's something that 
that is connected to my identity. It's something that I've always wanted, as, as we've we talked about. Uh, but yeah, what I find really interesting is that I was reading a piece recently about both journalists and former journalists who attach their job to their identity so much. And even when they're not a journalist anymore, they're still a journalist. So it's particularly during this time, during the lockdown and COVID-19, it's put things into perspective and going, okay, well, how do I define myself? Who am I? What am I about? And yes, journalism is my career and it's and I love it. There's more to me than journalism, that's for sure. <laughs> and as you've had some of those reflections, what are some of your thoughts about where your career might head in the future? I'm very keen to continue to be a sports journalist for a wee while yet and help influence that social change and continue to open up those discussions around the structures and culture of sport. I'd really like to move into leadership or into governance and eventually I'd like to go back and um, finish my master's. Uh, I had planned on doing my master's and then going on to do a PhD and becoming an academic. So at some stage... I'd like to move into that. But definitely in the near future, it's focusing back on sport. I think it's been a really rough time, particularly for people in sport, but for all New Zealanders, it's been a really rough time. So I want to be able to contribute in some ways to those discussions and the way that we re-establish sport, what that looks like, how we think differently around particularly funding models, making it a safe environment for all people and changing that mentality that sport is just for some because it's not. The International Olympic Committee say that sport is a basic human right and that everyone has the right to participate and engage with sport. And so how do we change that to engage with everyone? Because sport is for everyone, full stop. Mm, and an interesting kind of um, given you now doing a bit of business journalism back again on the side of sport, ultimately sport has become very much a business, but actually how do you get it back to being that grassroots that everyone can access? Um, and I see that with my kids now about that kind of commercialization of sport from an early age and the sort of football academies that my two oldest boys were looking at. Yes, sport has in some ways moved from something that everybody just gives a go to actually a very quite serious business. Yeah, and particularly now what we're seeing, sport is set to lose something like $75 million under Class 4 game, gaming funding. And that's quite a whack to that. So now's the time to look at how we do things smarter in all aspects. And um, funding is going to be a real hurdle for sports as we move through. There has, as sport returns, there's been this focus on commercialization of sport. You know, we're seeing men's rugby back up again and netball's back, which is great too, and the NRL as well. But there's been a focus on where the money is coming from. So for New Zealand rugby, it's been men's rugby. And when they talked about the recovery of rugby, they, in their press release, they had like 600 words and, and maybe 20 of them were dedicated to women saying, oh, yeah, they're still considering their options. This is not a time to consider, just to consider women. It's a time to put all people back in there and go, actually, we're dedicated to equal access for all people to sport, not just some. So I've got a last question for you. And what advice would you have for other girls or women in their careers? 
last year, a very well-known public broadcaster, female public broadcaster, gave me some advice. And and it came after the March 15 terror attack, actually. And I was working with her. I had actually been in Christchurch a few weeks before that. And I felt a bit uneasy about being down there. And she saw me on March 15 and I'd, in the morning and I told her about my experiences in Christchurch. And in the afternoon, after everything had happened, she just looked at me and she said, Zoe, always trust your gut. And, I, and that's what I would say to, to girls and women. Trust your gut. Go and do what you love and trust your gut because you know you best. Mm, wonderful advice. I love it. Trust your gut. I could probably do with a bit more of that in my own life. And Zoe, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for your time today and for being so open and honest and sharing some of the challenges, but also the bits that you love about your career. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure and I can't wait to hear more from your podcast. Great. Thanks, Zoe. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.